1: you
2: Welcome to episode 58. You all look remarkably summery today. What an attractive bunch you all are. Exciting times. For a while now, I've been meaning to run more competitions on this show. Well, the first of these will be coming up later on in the show. So do listen out for your chance to enter. The prize is very cool. Way more competitions coming up from now on. Plus, if you've signed up to be a patron then you'll be getting even more loot chances from now on. Details of that will be in the next patron email. Anyway. And not so long ago, you uh, turned off
3: the heat as far as your house was concerned. Now with the weather still getting warmer, you're probably turning off the heat on many of your meals too, by serving more salads, lighter foods, and cold drinks to go with them. And for a grand cold drink at mealtime or any time, You certainly couldn't ask for anything more satisfying than a tall, frosty glass of... Coca-Cola? Lemonade? Beer? A
2: tall, frosty glass of Iced Postum. Iced po- eh? Iced Postum? Postum is a coffee substitute, though, surely? From the first tinkle of
3: the cracked ice to the last cooling sip, it's thoroughly delightful and refreshing. It's cold coffee. Drink your iced postum slowly so you can enjoy longer its grand, full-bodied flavour and its mellow smoothness. It's cold coffee. Make up a good supply of iced postum in the cool of the morning.
2: I generally do that. It's cold coffee. Keep it in the refrigerator and serve it whenever you wish. Whenever I wish? Okay. How about before it all goes cold?
3: See how convenient iced postum is when friends stop in and the whole family can enjoy its refreshing goodness for Postum contains no stimulant of any
2: kind so basically it's like coffee but without any of the benefits plus it's cold serve
3: iced Postum tomorrow and see if you've ever served any warm weather drink as delicious or as welcome such as
2: beer maybe you have a question well throw it into the question pot strangely there is no next line Well, maybe I'll read your question Out on this show or maybe not Now here's someone with a handbell Well, before I sift through the questions that have been landing this week I got an email from wise old owl Brent Tannehill who wrote In your last episode, a woman wrote in and asked for your recommendations of movies for preschoolers. When my kids were little, we watched silent comedies. They're almost all physical comedy, nothing too difficult to understand and perfect for kids. My kids' favourite movies were the Buster Keaton comedies. They were pretty old before they discovered that there were movies out there with sound. It was all downhill after that. Brent, you're a genius. Why didn't I think of that? And you know what? My kids absolutely loved silent comedy when they were small, and for the life of me, I cannot understand why I didn't think of that. Their favourites, by the way, were Laurel and Hardy's silent work, specifically Big Business, which we all completely lost it to on a regular basis. So yes, any classic movie lovers out there wishing to indoctrinate their children from an early age, go for some silent comedies. Well done, Brent. You get a Canterbury. Canterbury. As for myself... I get. Um... You
4: have failed, monk.
2: Okay, so first question, the proper, is from Jeff Rath, who asks What is that jaunty theme song for your show? It sounds very much like Hal Roach studio music to me Lauren and Hardy or Our Gang shorts, but probably way off. Love to know. Thanks, Adam, and hugs to Suki. Well, Jeff, the song. Hi, Jeff. I'm sending you a hug in return. Thanks, Suki. What are you doing? I'm pretending to hug Jeff, I am. What's that in your arms? It's a shoe. Whose shoe is it? It's your shoe. But for the purposes of this moment, it's Jeff. Right, okay. It's Jeff the shoe. Right. Can you put it down now, please? Not yet. Why not? Because I'm not quite finished yet. You can keep that shoe. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyway, Jeff, the music. We're going to be very happy we are, Jeff the shoe. Do you mind? Well, I'm going to be very happy anyway. Do you mind, please? I think I love Jeff the shoe. Could you love him in silence, please? Love is never quiet. Well, perhaps it should be. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Any more? The love shack is a little old place where we can get together, it is. (sighs) Jeff, the theme song is called Thou Swell, which is a very old song from 1927. To be honest, I just kind of plucked it out of a hat, but I'm so glad I did, because it somehow sums up the feel of the show I'm trying to make. It's quite lighthearted, it's kind of fun, and it's unmistakably from that era. So it was a happy accident. Next question is from Matt Harrison, who asks, Hey Adam, what are your thoughts about the 1940 version of The Mark of Zorro with Tyrone Power, Basil Rathbone and the always excellent Gail Sondergaard? Well Matt, I reviewed that film in episode 19, Big Shots, and my opinion on it still stands. It is one of the best films ever. I love it, it's incredible in every way and I revisit it often. Matt then goes on to say, "Am I right in thinking there was a scene-for-scene color remake using the same music by Alfred Newman, which was played dreadfully straight and without the humor slash charm? Maybe I just imagined this in a fever dream. Matt, you did not dream it. In 1974, Frank Langella starred in a made-for-TV movie which used Alfred Newman's score and which, as you say, removed all vestiges of charm. It's bloody awful." It was actually supposed to be some kind of pilot, because ABC wanted to kickstart a Zorro TV series, but it was hideously unpopular, and it never came about. Still, very interesting little second life there for Alfred Newman's music. Next one today comes from Smith. That's all it says, just Smith. Like Madonna, just a little bit more common. Anyway, Smith says, Hi Adam, who is the image for your profile pic on YouTube? Is it a young Morris Micklewhite? Or is it actually you? Are you secretly his love child? Love the podcast. I can't find a better one for films new or old. Thanks. Thank you, Smith. Well, to be honest, I couldn't remember which picture I was using for my YouTube profile. So I've just been over and looked. Yes, that is me. (laughs) That is my rather grumpy looking face. I don't always look that grumpy. I must have just watched the Trollenberg Terror. funny thing about it is that on Twitter, my personal Twitter account, not the Attaboy Clarence one and not the Secret History of Hollywood one, but the one I use for personal stuff, that picture is of Michael Caine, a.k.a. Morris Micklewhite. Anyway, last question for today is from Mike, who asks, when will you do a show dedicated just to tragic starlets? (laughs) Eek. Well, it would be rather depressing, wouldn't it, if it was just about tragic starlets and nothing else? I don't think my fragile temperament could withstand a five-hour secret history of Hollywood where every story ended in misery. But I'll tell you what, I'll do my best to work them in from time to time for you, my friend. So throw your flipping questions into the shiny question pot. You might hear your question next time. So until then, get your thinky cap on for the question pot. Okay, that's the end. Hey, for all you UK listeners, I have a fantastic treat for you. If you're a lover of those films that used to be on BBC2 and Channel 4 every weekday afternoon at about 2pm, you know the ones, the old movies that you saw once and then you never saw again? Well, there's now an absolutely superb channel dedicated to showing nothing but those films. It's called Talking Pictures TV, and you can find it at 343 on Sky. 81 on Freeview, 306 on Freesat, or on Channel 81 on UView. I cannot stress how amazing this channel is. It is unbelievably fantastic. It is packed to bursting with forgotten classics, most of which I'd never heard of, let alone seen before, and it runs all day and all night. Unfortunately, it's not yet available outside of the UK, but let's face it, you guys in America have had TCM. (laughs) So it's about time we had a decent movie channel ourselves. And yes, we do have TCM here, I know that, but our version is pretty rubbish. We seem to get the same six movies on a loop, and they're always from, like, the 1970s. Anyway, if you're in the UK, I just thought I'd point you towards a couple of interesting-looking films coming up in the next fortnight that I'll definitely be watching. (laughs) So on Tuesday, June 21st, at 11.55am, 1939's Body Vanished. This is about a Scotland Yard inspector who's holidaying in a rural British village when a man bursts into the village pub and declares that a murder has taken place at a nearby creepy mansion. But when the inspector arrives to investigate, there's no trace of the body sounds like a classic to me. On Wednesday the 29th of June at 3.55pm, The Captain's Table from 1936, which is all about a luxury liner which is on its way across the Atlantic when one of the passengers turns up strangled. The captain, played by Percy Marmont, must turn detective to find the killer. Well, I'm a big fan of stranglers, so I'll be there for that one. And then on Saturday, the 2nd of July at 3.45pm, Inner Sanctum from 1948. Interestingly, this was an attempt to reboot an Inner Sanctum film series. If you remember... Universal tried back at the beginning of the 40s with Lon Chaney Jr., but it kind of fizzled out. Well, here, MRS Productions had a go at adapting the wildly popular stories for the screen. This ended up being the first and last, but the plot sounds very intriguing, so I'm looking forward to giving it a go. It's all about a murderer who hides out in a sleepy town, and the young boy he befriends who, as it transpires, is the only person who can see him brought to justice. Anyway, those are the three I'm looking forward to the most. Do go and join my Facebook page and follow me on Twitter. And if you end up watching along with those films on Talking Pictures TV, do let me know what you thought. Let's join Dan McCullough and his pal Eddie.
1: Say, Dan, I've got an idea. Yeah? You remember the old game where I think of
3: something and then you ask me questions and guess what it is? Sure, Eddie, why? Well, let's play that game.
2: Pretty sure that the last time they played this game, Dan got pregnant.
3: Only let's make it about those insignia and more plane buttons I'm collecting. Hmm.
2: Well, that sounds thrilling. Okay, you want to start?
3: All right. I'm thinking of something that's red and blue and yellow and black and white.
2: Kelly Osborne's hair. Let's see, um, is it a picture of a bird? No. Is it one of those charts on a new fridge that shows you how energy efficient it is? No. An animal? Well,
3: yeah, an animal.
2: (laughs) Well, that gives me something to start on. Mmm, let's see, an animal. Is it a bear? No. Cockatoo? Guess again. Is it a natterjack toad? Guess again. A white-faced saki monkey? Guess again. Kung fu panda? Guess again. I know, a tiger. I oh, you guessed it. Hey? Since when is a tiger blue?
3: And uh, like the other buttons in this swell second series, it's a honey. Clear, brilliant colors, sharp outlines why you can even see the tough expression in the tiger's eyes, and the rings around his tail. He's all dressed up, too, with a cap and a sweat jersey and boxing gloves. Yes, sir, these insignia buttons are just about
2: the classiest looking things you ever saw. They sound it. <laughs> <laughs> as I was looking over my YouTube channel anyway, which incredibly has 237 subscribers at this moment in time, can I just say that I wasn't actually aware until today that I had a YouTube channel. All I do is upload an old movie from time to time so that the people of Earth can see the things. I wasn't aware that it was a channel. But anyway, as I say, I was looking at my YouTube channel and I noticed that the Brighton Strangler has had, get this... 26,528 people that will never get that 67 minutes of their lives back. I'm so sorry. (sighs) Absolutely brilliant. But do you know what's more brilliant? The comments. For instance, Liam Osvett, whose opinion was, There's no point in having a security gate if it's not kept locked, especially at night. Dang, dude just walks into Grey's room without knocking. Those doors are really thin if he can hear someone talking in their sleep that clearly. Bad movie. You're so right, Liam Osbert, and such a shame because RKO were going for absolute realism when they made this film all about a man who gets hit on the head by a plank of wood and turns into a very polite murderer. (laughs) If you've seen the film, his fiance stops him from committing another murder at the end by applauding, which temporarily brings him to his senses. It also unfortunately causes him to walk off a roof to his death.
5: applaud, applaud!
2: Well, Neil Miller wasn't impressed with that turn of events. In fact, Neil Miller took a few moments out of his day to make the very poetic comment. He heard applause. Not from me. Thanks anyway. <laughs> Not a problem, Neil Miller. And this one, from the wonderfully named Chris Cross, who writes, The title The Brighton Strangler is totally arbitrary. It could have been set in any town in England. There are no shots of the town Probably not allowed during the war. In fact, there isn't a single exterior shot in the movie. Whoever wrote this obviously didn't know anything about the place and just thought, wrongly, that it was a catchy title. (laughs) This was quickly followed by a comment from Elizabeth Sheffield who wrote, I can't think of an area anywhere near Brighton or Brighton itself which has the rocks or such a rocky outlook which you saw from the window. (laughs) The coastline is pretty much flat there. To be honest, I didn't quite know how to respond to these people who obviously have a a much more comprehensive knowledge of the southern English coastline than I do. (laughs) It turns out I didn't need to, because before they could get their ordnance survey maps out... (laughs) Dub Jack shows up and shuts the whole thing down with his comment, The reason this film doesn't show any shots of Brighton, and the reason the script was written by someone who clearly did not know anything about the place, is because it was made in America. (laughs) I mean, come on people, of all the films to take so seriously... (laughs) Why did you have to pick the Brighton Strangler? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love you all. I'm going to break from tradition today and review a single film. Not because I'm lazy. Well, I am lazy, but I'm not being lazy about this. The reason is that this is a film that means a great deal to me, and so I've decided to make it the sole focus of today's show. It's odd, because when I first saw it, I really wasn't that taken with it. But as time has gone on, it has meant more and more to me. In fact, it was one of the first old films I ever bought at the age of 18. It kind of sat on my shelf alongside It's a Wonderful Life and Psycho and The 39 Steps, and it was very rarely played. But for some reason, I did find myself returning to it from time to time. And funnily, as I grew older, and as the collection around it grew larger, it became more and more important to me until now, when it has become without doubt... One of the greatest films I've ever seen. I come to it in this way because I think it's very important to preface this review with the fact that I had to grow into this film. I didn't get it the first time I watched it, in fact, I found it rather ridiculous. And the reason for that is when I first saw it, I was 18. I had no responsibilities or life experience to speak of other than to get myself to work and to live at great speed. I'm almost 40 now. In fact, I'm 40 years old next month. I am married and I have three children. I have been in love. I have found lasting love. I have experienced love on many levels, be it with the magnificent woman that married me or with the three utterly unique children that we've created together. I know this may sound extremely silly and sentimental, but what I'm trying to communicate is that the effects of this film will be directly amplified by your life experiences. And because of that, it is one of the most remarkable, the most perfectly crafted, most magical movies I've ever seen. It's a film from 1939 And its name is Intermezzo.
6: Margaret, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what Thomas has done. I'm going to settle down.
7: When you're ready for that, you won't say it so desperately. With that determined look
6: in your eye. All right, then you're coming with me. Yes, that's it. We're going away together. And everything will be just as it was in the beginning. Do you remember the first time we went away like that? It was winter when we left here. We crossed the Alps. Suddenly was spring. You said that the blossoming locust in Capri was what made everybody sing there. Do you remember?
7: It's as if you were telling me a fairy tale. Once upon a time.
2: Leslie Howard stars as Holger Brandt, a world-famous Swedish violinist who has returned home after a lengthy tour to his wife, Margit, and two children, Eric and Anne-Marie. When he arrives home, he's full of the joys of homecoming and he determines to remain with them for as long as he can before beginning another world tour. But the harmony of his household is interrupted when he meets and falls uncontrollably in love with Anne Marie's piano teacher, Anita Hoffman, played by Ingrid Bergman. Please, don't laugh at me if I tell you
0: something.
2: Why should I laugh? You
0: see, ever since I first began to care about music. It it seems strange. (laughs) What does? I had only one idea. For years I saved every penny I I could to be able to hear you whenever you played.
6: Did you? How nice of you to tell me that
0: nice of me. Think of my being able to tell it mm. to that you. That's what I can't get over. Here I am talking to you as if you were an old friend.
6: Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a friend, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: only a little while ago I looked at you from
6: such a distance.
0: And now... You don't know how fantastic it
6: seems to me to be here. <laughs> no, 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 don't drink any more of that stuff. No. Waiter, bring us some champagne. Champagne? Yeah, Champagne is what we need. A couple of glasses of champagne and two strangers have a rich and
2: happy past. Unable to control his feelings for Miss Hoffman, Brandt breaks with his family. He leaves his wife and children and disappears back onto the world stage along with Anita, believing that what he's doing is the right thing for everyone. But as the months creep past, he begins to again feel the pull of home and of the family he's abandoned.
6: Oh, Holger. Yes, Thomas. I have some papers with me. Papers? Yes, divorce papers. Oh, yes, of course, yes. I asked Margaret to let me bring them. I thought perhaps I might be able to persuade you to sign them without delay. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Well, put them down. Put them down, Thomas. I'll sign them later. Well, why not sign them now, Holger, and get it over with? Why this extraordinary rush? Well, now, Holger, you really must try to think a little of Margaret. Margaret? You don't mean to say that she wants to marry again? Oh, no, no, not she. But I imagine she feels it'll be better for all of you, including the children, if she's legally separated from a man who... Well, I needn't say. Thomas, I suppose you think I've behaved disgracefully. It's easy to criticize, Holger. I don't pretend to account for someone else's feelings. Won't you sign these now? Do you think it's as easy as that, Thomas? Cut out the best part of one's life. Tear up the last roots. I thought you had done that long ago.
2: A very simple plot, then, really. A man falls in love with a beautiful young woman and he does his best to find a happiness built on the unhappiness of others. What sets it apart from almost every other version of this story, though, is the remarkable credit it gives to its audience and the spellbinding performances of the cast. Leslie Howard, first and foremost, is wonderful as the haunted maestro whose smile never seems to fully mask the agony he feels at leaving his family behind. Edna Best, similarly, as Margit, is a wonderfully strong woman who almost turns herself to steel to save her children from seeing her pain. And as the third point in this triangle, Ingrid Bergman in her first role for Hollywood is quite simply mesmerising. She'd starred in the original version of this story in 1936, back in her homeland of Sweden, and it had been seen by David O. Selznick, who immediately made arrangements to bring her to America, and the rest is history. This, quite literally, is the film that turned Ingrid Bergman into a legend. Good morning, Miss
6: Hoffman. Daddy. Oh well, Miss Hoffman, we haven't met, have we? How do you do? How
7: do
8: you do?
2: The important thing about her character is that usually in these types of films, the other woman is something of a villain or turns out to have some kind of villainous trait that ends up being exposed, causing the broken family to reunite. Crucially, in Intermezzo, the other woman is nothing of the sort. In fact, she's as sympathetic as the small girl that's left behind by her father. She is radiantly young, in this film, a starry-eyed dreamer who just so happens to fall in love with the wrong man and instead of being steadfastly determined to keep him at all costs, she realises from the beginning that she's in the wrong and ultimately she becomes the film's unlikely hero. I was really interested in the original when I decided that this was the film I was going to talk about this week. So I went back to the 1936 Swedish version because I wanted to see what Selznick saw. And I certainly saw it. There is something supernatural about Ingrid Bergman in both of these films. She is almost the spirit of spring and beauty in both films. Incredibly beautiful and almost shining from within. You just kind of melt As you watch her.
6: Don't you feel when spring comes that the world is yours? Just for the asking. That there's nothing that you couldn't be?
0: Tonight I would dare anything. (laughs) Oh, perhaps it's only the champagne.
2: (laughs) As for other comparisons to the 1936 version, well, the original Swedish film is kind of slight it kind of sweeps past the more intense moments. No doubt due to Swedish sensibilities and attitudes, which, if this is anything to go by, were a little more reserved than the overly sentimental ones of Hollywood. Also, for some strange reason, Ingrid Bergman's character comes across as almost vampy at times, which does render her a little more unsympathetic. My main problem with it, though, is the central character of Holger Brandt who's played in the Swedish version by Gosta Ekman, and he comes across as rather creepy. He, he's a very fine actor, and he's very naturalistic, but he looks rather more like a crumbling vampire than he does a romantic lead. It just doesn't seem likely that a young girl would fall for him. He's rather uncharismatic. It's not often that a remake betters an original but under Selznick's guidance, almost every element of the film is improved upon. More attention is given to the larger moments, especially towards the close of the film, where an entirely new scene is added between father and son that always breaks my heart. The funny thing is, it's it's not a perfect film. There are major flaws with it. Some of the dialogue will make you grind your teeth it is so hackneyed and it is definitely overly sentimental. I'm not going to profess to it being a perfect film but I can tell you that it affects me personally very deeply every time I see it. He's a husband who purposefully hurts the wife who's been his best friend and biggest supporter. He's a father who abandons the children, who innocently look up to him with absolute love and respect. And every time I see it, it makes me realise that I could never do that to my own family. Anyway, as I say, in my opinion, one of the most affecting films I've ever seen, clothed in that resplendent Hollywood glamour that you only get when you have stars like Ingrid Bergman and Leslie Howard in a film where David O. Selznick is pulling out all the stops. Absolutely enchanting. A wonderful, wonderful film. Unfortunately, no radio adaptation of the film ever reunited its co-stars, Ingrid Bergman and Leslie Howard. But of all the radio versions of the film, and there were a few, the best of the bunch came in 1940, just a year later, when the peerless Lux Radio Theatre teamed Ingrid Bergman with Herbert Marshall for a very faithful rendering. I must quickly stress that this is a film that I most definitely recommend, especially if you're a sentimental old fool like I am. Some of the film's nuances are a little lost on radio, no doubt due to the fact that stories had to be trimmed to fit on radio. Therefore, do make sure you watch the movie. It's definitely worth the effort. In fact, I've just made it the film club choice, so if you don't have a copy, go to attaboyclarence.com and watch it there for nothing. Anyway, on with the show. We'll go on over now to the Lux Radio Theater for their adaptation of Intermezzo, starring Herbert Marshall, Gail Patrick, and the one and only Miss Ingrid Bergman. I will see you later.
9: The Lux Radio Theater brings you Herbert Marshall, Ingrid Bergman, and Gail Patrick in Intermezzo,
10: a love story. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr.
9: Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, a new star comes to the stage of the Lux Radio Theater, and our date with her was made by a telephone call to Sweden. Miss Ingrid Bergman, who is one of the Hollywood finds of the year, makes her American radio debut in our drama Intermezzo, because we couldn't imagine anyone else in the role she played so powerfully on the screen. Intermezzo is a love story, a story both old and new, old because it's a love story. New because it represents a distinct improvement on a familiar theme. Just as the new quick Lux is an improvement on a tried and true product. Science is constantly bettering things for us. And Lux Flakes keeps pace with the march of science. Miss Bergman was discovered by David O. Selznick and brought here from Sweden to make into After finishing the picture, she went back home. That's where our telephone call comes in. We reached her at Stockholm and made arrangements for tonight's play when she returned to resume work at the Selznick studio. But it was really you who cast Herbert Marshall in the co-starring role. We received so many letters asking, when are you going to have Herbert Marshall again? That we've seized this opportunity to have him play Holger Brandt. And let me congratulate you on a job of perfect casting. To complete the triangle of our love story, we have Gail Patrick as Holger Brandt's wife, Margaret. She's a very different character from the wife in a conventional dramatic triangle. But as I told you before, this is a new love story, even though our, our lazier playwrights had been insisting for years that there was no such thing as a new love story. Intermezzo, of course, is a musical term, meaning an interlude or intermission, a time to relax. So I suggest that you relax now and listen as we ring up the curtain on our play Intermezzo, starring Herbert Marshall as Holger Brandt Ingrid Bergman as Anita, and Gail Patrick as Margaret, with Ann Todd and Douglas Scott of the screencast as the children, Anne-Marie and Eric. In New York City's famous Carnegie Hall, a violin recital nears its close. It's the second encore, and the audience, breathless with excitement, has crowded into the aisles and as close to the stage as possible, where Holger Brandt is playing, for the first time, his own composition intermezzo. From his magic bow, the music soars to the high dome of the hall, whispers along the walls, and then, all too soon, the concert ends.
4: say how much I appreciate the reception you have given us here on our last concert in New York. My accompanist Thomas Kleinberg and I leave America for our home in Sweden with the deepest gratitude for the warmth of your response to our performances here. (laughs) And now I should like to say a few words about something that for me saddens this happy evening as I'm afraid it will you. Mr. Steinberg, will you come out here, please? Thomas, come out. Oh, God, what are you thinking of? Don't be a fool, man. It's time you took some of the vows. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steinberg is more than my accompanist. He is my old friend. He is my collaborator from whom I have learned much of whatever I know of music. It is therefore with the deepest regret that I must announce that after many years of travel and adventure together, I must henceforth go my way alone. Mr. Steinberg is abandoning me to settle down to a well-earned retirement. Will you join me in paying tribute to one of the finest musicians, and more important, one of the finest men it has ever been my privilege to know? Thank you.
11: Olga, you shouldn't have done this.
4: True, Thomas, every word of it. But I, uh, I, uh, uh, thank you, thank you.
11: I'll meet you in the wings.
4: And now, if you'll permit us, we must run. You see, like so many of you, we are family men. And tonight a boat sails that will take us back to Stockholm. A boat that will take us home. (laughs) Thomas, is your decision final? You really mean to leave me and retire? Yes, the time's come, Holger. Won't you miss it all? The work, the crowds, the applause. All the world as we've had it. Perhaps a little,
11: but there's a great difference between us, Holger. You're indispensable to the world and the world to you. Let's have a drink. Your flame leaps, Holger, at every breath of life. Some of us glow a while and aren't too regretful when the spark dies out and allows us to rest.
4: We'll have memories in common always, Thomas. Memories? From the same old friends, Bach and Beethoven. Old Thomas, sitting by the fire with his slippers and his pipe. And my wife. Yes, of course, your wife. I should be glad to see Margaret again, too, and the children. Seems years since I left them. You know, Thomas, you're right. The crowds, applause, they're like a drug. Like a habit that gets a stranglehold on your life, and you can't break it, except by total abstinence. Stay home, away from it all, and you'll find peace. I wish I could believe it, but the same conviction I say it. <laughs> well, anyway, Thomas. For twenty years of comradeship in the art we both love, and for your flawless friendship, thank you. Thank you, Olga.
1: Nice having you, <laughs> oh. Oh. Dad. <laughs> is she oh. Oh. i in, Holger. Oh. 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 Emma, our wondrous home at
7: last. Oh. Welcome oh. home, Mr. Bronson.
1: Thank
4: sir. you, Emma. Oh, you've taken good care of everybody I see. It's good to have you back, oh.
7: sir. Look, Daddy. Look who's here.
4: Who's wow. oh. that?
7: His name is Angus, Daddy. He's my dog.
4: So the family's grown since I've been away. How are you, Angus? Very <laughs> really happy to meet you, I'm sure. <laughs> he doesn't think very much of me. You know, Margaret, there's better air to breathe in this room than anywhere else on earth. I can hardly believe I've been away. Nothing's changed.
1: If anybody ever moved anything in here, even an inch, Mother always moved it right back again, (laughs) where you like. (laughs) You had your own room to upset, Eric. Eric's building a railroad upstairs, Holger. Not a railroad, Mother. A rope haul for carrying magnesite from the mines to the factories.
4: Really? I'd like to have a look at it.
1: Well,
7: it's not finished yet, sir.
4: Maybe I could help.
1: No, I don't think so, sir.
4: (laughs) I don't blame you, Eric.
7: Daddy, I play the piano, Daddy. I take lessons. Do you? Do you want to hear me? A little later, darling. Daddy has so much to do. Will you play your violin with me, Daddy?
4: I should say I will. Darling, take Angus upstairs, please.
7: All right. But I'm coming straight back.
4: Well, Margaret.
1: Welcome home, Holger.
4: Darling, if you knew how often I've thought of this moment. Oh, You are, young lady? What do you think of that?
7: You played some wrong notes.
4: What? I did nothing of the kind.
7: Yes, you did. It made me dizzy.
4: Indeed. You mean
7: this? (coughs) Yes. It's terrible.
4: Those are called dissonant chords, darling. You'll learn to play them, too.
7: No, I don't want to.
4: Then you'll just be a very old-fashioned musician.
0: That's what I want to be. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Miss Hoffman. Oh, I, I hope I haven't interrupted anything. Not at all. Daddy, this is Miss Hoffman. She's my music teacher. How do you do? How do you do?
4: I've been hearing a great deal about you, Miss Hoffman. Now, there's one thing I know for certain. Yes? You've been teaching your pupil plenty of self-confidence. She's been correcting me. She says I play false.
0: Oh, Anne-Marie. <laughs> I wouldn't take that criticism too hard, Miss Brandt. <laughs> Anne-Marie's very talented, but but she may have been mistaken. Well, <laughs>
4: let's hope so, anyway. How long have you been teaching her?
0: Oh, uh, a little under a year. I hope it's been satisfactory. I... I'm hardly more than a pupil myself. With whom? With uh, several teachers. But now that Mr. Steinbock has returned, uh, I'm hoping he'll take me.
4: Steinbock, you couldn't find anyone better. I will see that he does take you.
0: You will? Oh, thank you, Mr. Brand.
4: Not a bit. Now, run along, Anne-Marie. It must be time for your lesson.
0: Yes, it is. Come, Anne-Marie. Bye, Daddy. Bye.
1: Holger. Mm Mm-hmm. What are you thinking of?
4: Oh, nothing except... Margaret, it strikes me I'm something of a stranger here.
1: How can you say such a thing?
4: Little things. The children make me realize it. But then it's natural that it should be that way.
1: You've been away from us so much, and this last time it's been so long.
4: I know. Margaret, I'm going to do what Thomas has done. Settle down.
1: (laughs) My darling, when you're ready for that, you won't say it so desperately, with that determined look in your eye.
4: (laughs) I suppose you're right. But, Margaret... You're coming away with me.
7: But
1: darling... We're
4: going away together again, and everything will be just as it was in the beginning. We'll make life rich and gay and exciting again.
1: <laughs> How wonderful it was. Missing trains and boats, losing all our belongings, and never caring.
4: Do you remember the first time we went away like that? It was winter here when we left. We crossed the Alps, and suddenly it was spring. You said that the blossoming locusts in Capri was what made everyone sing there. Remember?
1: Yes. It's as if you were telling me a fairy tale. Once upon a time. But things are different now, Holger.
4: How?
1: We have a home.
4: It won't run away. And we'll come back to it and appreciate it all the more. But the children... Oh, they can get along without you for a while. It's good for children to learn to take care of themselves.
1: <laughs> Not really, Holger. And Marie's only six. <laughs> Please, her oh dear. Don't think that I wouldn't love to go. But you don't realize that these things are my responsibilities just as... Well, just as concerts and practice are yours.
4: Yeah, I suppose you're right.
7: Come on, Miss Hoffman. Anne-Marie, you mustn't. Mommy, I've just thought of something. Oh, Anne-Marie. Something important, Mommy. What is it, dear? May I invite Miss Hoffman to my birthday party?
1: Oh, but Anne-Marie, tell Miss Hoffman that she's very welcome to your birthday party.
7: Miss Hoffman, you're very welcome to my birthday party. We're going to have ice cream and cake. <laughs> well, I
1: I didn't really mean to, Mrs. Brandt. Anne-Marie will be very disappointed if you don't come, and so will we.
7: Very well, thank you. That's settled. Now we can go on with the lesson. Come on, Miss Hoffman. You like the ice cream and cake, Miss Hoffman. Oh, I'm sure I would.
1: You see, Holger, all these world-shaking problems that keep me here, I'm content to stay, to make this the place you'll come back to, always. And that spring you spoke of, that sort of thing comes only once in a lifetime. Let it be what it is, a memory, and who knows? We might perhaps have another spring. It's
11: a lovely
8: cake, isn't it? How many
4: can? Seven. (laughs) No, eight. One to grow (laughs) on. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we are very privileged people. Our hostess was told that she could invite whom she liked for her birthday, and she asked for an entirely grown-up party. Her father and mother, whom I think she felt she couldn't very well leave out. (laughs) (laughs) Her brother, the rising young engineer. Her godfather, Uncle Thomas. Her other godfather, Uncle Charles Muller, my worthy business manager. Thank you. (laughs) And her new friend and teacher, Miss Anita Hoffman, whom we are happy to welcome to the family circle. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the health of our hostess, with 70 times 7. Miss Anne Marie Brandt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
8: you.
3: May I have a word with you?
4: Well, Charles? Olger Thomas is
3: determined not to travel again. I told you that. So I have been very busy. I've been combing the continent for a new accompanist, and I believe I've found one. You have? I want you to come to a concert with me next week. He's
4: marvelous. Mm, very well. The man is exactly the thing you want. I heard him last... Listen. Week. What? Quiet. Can that be Miss Hoffman? Well, I imagine so. Well, she's good. I didn't realize... Orger, she's only a pupil. Wait till you hear the man that I... Quiet, please... I want to listen. Well, Holger, what did you think of the recital? Wouldn't he make a good accompanist? He won't do. Holger? I tell you he won't do. That's all there is to it. Oh, him. Lord. Well, I will keep looking. Oh, I'm sorry. I beg your a Why? Oh, Miss Hoffman.
0: Oh, Mr. Brandt, good evening. and oh, Mr. Muller.
4: Good evening. How are you this evening, Miss Hoffman? Very well,
0: thank you. Isn't uh, Mrs. Brandt with you?
4: No, we had social obligations. Uh-huh. I'm a fugitive from adult in the perfect. Well, what should we do now? What would you say to a glass of wine somewhere? Well, I, I was just going home. So was I, but what about you, Charles? No, oh, no, 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 leave me out. <laughs> I'm ready for bed after all that highbrow music. Good night. Good night, Miss Hoffman.
0: Oh, but... uh, Let
4: him go. Music wears him out. There must be a cafe nearby.
0: Yes, uh, there's a funny stuffy little place down the street. Always crowded. uh...
4: Where they have to put out the lights to get rid of the customers.
0: Oh, you have been there?
4: Not in a long time. It's just what we want. Come along.
0: Oh, I adore the concert.
4: You did like it, didn't you? Mm. You have the look in your eye of someone who's made a feast of music.
0: How I envy that pianist.
4: You'd like to do that, wouldn't you? Be on that the stage. Oh, yes. Yes. I'll tell you something. I'd rather it have been you up there playing.
0: Oh, you are not serious.
4: Certainly I am. Good Lord, I'm stupid. Why, of course. Why don't you accompany me? Accompany you? Yes, yes, on tour. Take Thomas' place. Oh, you don't mean it. But I do. Why didn't I think of it the moment I heard you play? Well, what are you thinking? What do you say?
0: No, no, I... I couldn't do it. Even if you meant it.
4: Why couldn't you?
0: Oh, Mr. Steinberg would never forgive me if I gave up my studies. Thomas
4: would approve completely. He knows how desperately I need an accompanist. And he'd be delighted that you have taken his place. No, but... but
0: uh, Please try to understand. Don't you think it's best for me to stay and work as hard as I can for a scholarship? Scholarship? Yes. In the Royal Academy. There is a chance.
4: Oh, I didn't know. But of course you should stay and continue your studies.
0: That you would even consider me... It's
4: Yes, yes, you're profoundly honoured and all that.
0: I am, really. I
4: understand. We'll say no more about it. Ah, you know, I've forgotten about places like this—the haven of the rising musicians, the look one sees in all these faces—and <laughs> yet it seems scarcely in, in any time at all since I sat here with just such boys and girls, we making the world to suit ourselves as they are doing now.
0: I do. I would like to have known you then
4: would you probably not i was poor and awkward much too earnest and worked too hard all in all not a very fetching fellow
0: i don't believe you
4: everyone here each of these boys and girls expects to set the world on fire
0: yes and perhaps one or two may do it
4: perhaps it'll be you
0: (laughs) oh please don't laugh at what i'm going to say
4: why should i
0: well since I first began to care about music. oh, it, it does seem so strange. Tell me what? I had only one idea. For years, I saved every penny I could to be able to buy some kind of a seat in the concert hall whenever you played.
4: It's nice of you to tell me that.
0: Oh, nice of me. Think, think of my being able to tell it to you. Oh, that, that's what I can't get over. Here I am talking to you as if, as if you were an old friend.
4: I am a friend.
0: (laughs) But just a little while ago I looked at you from such a distance, and now, oh, you don't know how fantastic it seems to me to be here at this moment. (laughs) Well.
4: (laughs) Wait, no, no, no! Don't drink that. Just ordinary wine. Waiter, a bottle of your best vintage champagne. Very good,
0: sir. Champagne.
4: For that state of mind described as being in awe of someone, there's no quicker corrective than good champagne two glasses, and in 20 minutes, strangers have shared a rich and happy past. You know, Anita, there comes a night each year when one senses that winter is suddenly over.
0: Yes, that spring has come. Oh, I look forward to it through the dreary month.
4: Look down there at the river, mm. the ice. There's the winter, all broken, rushing out to sea. A wonderful final journey. Don't you feel when spring comes that the world is yours for the asking? That there's nothing that you couldn't be? For
0: tonight. Tonight I would dare anything. Oh. <laughs> oh, perhaps it's only the champagne.
4: Do you know what you remind me of?
0: Tell
4: me. A Viennese waltz, smiling but melancholy. A melody of the days when Vienna was a happy city.
0: <laughs> what a poet you are.
4: At twilight in the spring, and music poured through the cafe doors, melodies of carefree youth. It was there that I saw you for the first time.
0: Phantom of a Viennese waltz.
4: No, I'm wrong. It wasn't there at all I met you. It was in Budapest on a summer night. They were playing the rustle of spring. That was you.
0: (laughs) What are you thinking of?
4: I'm listening. There's something coming. I don't know what.
0: Spring, perhaps. Spring.
4: Yes, perhaps.
0: I... Oh, it's getting cold.
4: Now it's coming. The spring storm.
0: I, I must go home. Good night. Thank you.
4: Anita.
10: In just a moment, Mr. DeMille brings you Act Two of Intermezzo with Herbert Marshall, Ingrid Bergman, and Gail Patrick. Have you ever thought of the various words that express speed? If you'll take a look at your dictionary sometime, you'll find most of them contain the letter S.
5: Like swift?
10: Yes, and sprint.
1: And, uh, scurry and scamper. Why, I know a whole sentence of fairly sharp speed has got so many S's.
10: Well, let's hear it, Sally.
1: New Quick Lux is so speedy and swift, it suds in a second.
10: You never said a truer thing in your life, Sally. An added ingredient makes new quick lux burst into suds at the touch of water. In water as cool as your hand, it dissolves three times as fast as any of ten other leading soaps tested. New quick lux suds so fast, it's thrilling women all over the country. For example, there's Miss Kay Dickerson of East Orange, New Jersey. Will you read what she wrote, Sally? Of
1: course. She says, "I've been using Lux for years for all my washables. I always thought it was so wonderful it couldn't be improved, but somehow, some way you've done it. New Quick Lux is simply astounding. It's so amazingly fast.
10: New Quick Lux is fast, but it's more than that. It goes further, gives you more suds ounce for ounce than any of 10 other soaps tested.
1: That makes it thrifty to use for sweaters, blouses, stockings, underthings." Oh, that reminds me. Miss Dickerson said something about that. Let me see. Oh, here it is. It's so easy to freshen undies with new quick The Their colors look lovely, and they stay new-looking longer, too.
10: You better make a note of that, all you ladies who want your things to stay new-looking longer. And make a note on your shopping list to buy the big box of new quick luxe tomorrow. Your grocer has it now in the same familiar box, at no extra cost to you. I know you'll like new quick Lux. It's so amazingly fast, so thrifty, and so very safe for everything safe in water alone. Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille.
9: Act two of Intermezzo, starring Ingrid Bergman as Anita, Herbert Marshall as Holger, and Gail Patrick as Margit, with Douglas Scott as Eric and Anne Todd as Anne Marie. pass, and the friendship of Anita and Halga has ripened into a far deeper emotion. Now the spring has really come at last. In Thomas Stenborg's home, Anita sits at the piano. All the hopelessness of her love is expressed in the only way she knows, through music. Stenborg comes quietly into the room and stands behind her, a worried frown on his face. Aren't you giving it too much importance?
11: You were going at it as if it were the climax of a tremendous symphony.
0: I... I wasn't conscious of it. Mr. Steinberg, I'm thinking of going away.
11: Are you really? For long?
0: I... um, I've been invited to visit relatives in Denmark. I can stay as long as I want.
11: I see. They won't divert you too much. You'll be able to study. If I like don't talk as if that weren't important you've applied for that scholarship you know
0: yes of course i'll try to study uh, by myself
11: little anne marie will have to find someone else to teach her. yes and so you're running away from it all from him
0: i thought you must have known
11: yes well perhaps it's best that way life sometimes moves in strange ways to give us experience And often this experience is gained only through our greatest mistakes.
0: I thought I was going straight to my goal. Thinking of nothing but my work. And now... uh, I I can't explain it to you.
11: Don't try. Nothing is altogether dependable. Not the weather, destiny, nor ourselves. Will this be our last lesson?
5: Yes.
0: If you'll excuse me, I, I think I ought to go and see Mrs. Brandt.
11: Certainly do that. Anita, you're waiting for me to say something very wise and helpful. But I'll say to you only what I say to myself when things seem too difficult. Courage, my friend. Courage.
4: Anita, here. I thought you were never coming. You see, you've spoiled me by always being on time.
0: There was someone I had to see, Holger.
4: That sounds very serious. Someone I had to see. Anything wrong, Anita?
0: Oh, nothing. May I have a glass of wine?
4: Something has gone wrong. Tell me.
0: Please.
4: No, you're frightening me.
0: Oh, but I'm frightened. You must realize how I feel. It can't go on like this. Oh, it simply can't go on. Don't you see that?
4: Why do you upset yourself now?
0: Oh, all along I've been miserable. Hating this kind of thing. Always meeting you like this in out-of-the-way places. Little dark corners, sneaking about in fear of being seen.
4: It's not the way I'd like it to be.
0: How else could we go on seeing each other? Oh, I'm ashamed. And I hate being ashamed.
4: We've had so many hours of happiness. Gay, friendly hours. They've been beautiful. Nothing to be ashamed of.
0: Oh, Holger, look in the mirror there, on the wall. How do we look to you?
4: Don't be so dramatic.
0: Oh, but you don't like it any more than I do. We look what we feel. Two guilty people.
4: Is it a crime for me to love you, Anita?
0: Why, why did it have to be the way it is? If only we hadn't met.
4: Do you really wish we hadn't?
0: Yes, now I do. I haven't any right to be happy the way I am happy. When I am with you. Anita. No, no. I can't listen. You'll go on justifying us both, I know. I'm fighting to be sensible.
4: Sensible. That's a word seldom used in love. Love isn't sensible.
0: Oh, Holger. There are some things I can't bring myself to say.
4: I know, I know. I have a home. I have children. I'm a respected, responsible man. But as I sit here looking at you, I know only one thing.
0: I do, too. We must end it. We've got to stop seeing each other.
4: Can we? We
0: must. We can't go on lying to ourselves and to people who trust us. It's impossible, unbearable.
4: We just say goodbye and stop seeing each other. That's very simple, isn't it?
0: We've got to find the strength for it.
4: You're right. Goodbye, Anita.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Not here.
4: Now, let's get out. Let's walk.
9: Anita.
0: The days are so long now, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> you know, that. There, there used to be a shop near here. I always stopped to look in. All kinds mm-hmm. of i lost things in the window. Oh, here it is.
4: What a strange collection of things. Anita, look. Look at that curious clock.
0: Holger, I'm going. I'm going now, quickly, as if it didn't matter. Oh, don't kiss me. Don't say anything. Don't turn around. No. Goodbye, Holger.
4: Goodbye, Anita.
1: Brandy or coffee?
4: No, thank you.
1: Are things going along well?
4: Yes, quite well.
1: I had a rather difficult time with Anne-Marie today. She's very upset about Miss Hoffman leaving. Leaving? Didn't you know? She was here today to tell us. She's going to Denmark. She won't be back for a long time.
10: I
4: see.
1: Have you found an accomplished yet?
4: No. No, it's all uh, not definite yet.
1: You're leaving on another tour soon.
4: Yes, I shall be leaving soon.
1: Will you be away long? I don't
4: know. I... I can't say.
1: Holger, I want to go along this time. To go along? Yes. Yes, I can arrange everything here. I want to be with you on the tour, as you suggested before. We will go back, have some of those lovely, irresponsible days. Be together in strange places as we used to be. I still want something of life. I don't want to be left behind. Does that sound vain and frivolous coming from me? Hulker, can't we do it? Wouldn't you like it? I see. You're answering me. You might just as well be seeing it. I know what it
4: is. Margaret, I must talk to you.
1: No, never mind. Forget what I said.
4: Margaret, we must talk now. Listen to me.
7: Hello, Dad. Hello, Mother.
4: Come
1: in, Eric. Did you ask him for me, Mother? No, I forgot. Eric wants to go to see a picture this evening, Holger. I've done all my lessons. Is it all right, Dad? It's a good movie. Certainly. Uh, could you let me have some money? Yeah. Thanks.
4: Margaret, I'm sorry. More than I can tell you.
1: Mother, something's wrong with Dad. Yes. What is it, Mother? You were talking when I came in. What's the matter? Eric... Go upstairs, darling. There's nothing we can do. Nothing. Anita.
4: Anita. Oh, wait, you can't. You mustn't go.
0: Oh, Holger, how could you do this? How could you? I
4: can't t- face it. I can't face being without you.
0: But we promised each other.
4: Is it as easy as that? Can you just get on a train and ride away from life? Oh, please. What you'd leave would haunt you. Haunt us both the rest of our days.
0: All aboard. Oh, you are not being fair. It's no easier for me.
4: This very moment, my fate is being decided. A life with you or a life alone.
0: You are not alone, Holger. It's I who am alone.
4: We're both alone, Anita. I've broken with my past, with everything. I have no home any longer.
0: All aboard. Holger, you couldn't have what did you say to her to your wife
4: she could not have borne the lies any more than i could i know her and anyway she always she already knew the truth she told me first really oh Uncle.
0: how could you hurt her like that and what will happen now
9: Albert Hall, London, May the 3rd, Holger Brandt, violinist, accompanist, Anita Hoffmann. Concert Hall
4: in Vienna, Holger Brandt, accompanist, Fräulein Anita Hoffmann.
1: Conservatoire de Paris, Holger Brandt, Mademoiselle Anita Hoffmann.
4: now what do you think four encores oh
0: i think the audience told the truth you play better than i've ever heard you play before
4: i wonder why (laughs) and you you surpassed yourself too
0: oh but that's no mystery oh holger i love you
4: that was what they heard tonight when i played
0: i i hope it's true that i've helped you a little but it's not only that only what oh what am i your shadow I don't exist without you.
4: You're not a shadow, my dearest. Don't talk nonsense.
0: Oh, but it's enough. Yes. Let me be with you like this. That's all I ask.
4: And will that be enough always?
0: Yes. Always.
4: Our last concert. We can rest a while now.
0: Oh, it's been the greatest happiness I've ever known. The greatest. I'll ever know, I'm sure.
4: How can you be sure of that?
0: Such happiness couldn't come more than once in one's life. I know it couldn't. Could it, Olga?
4: Anita, let's not speculate on happiness. Here we are, and work is over for a while.
0: Uh, I was forgetting. We must go home now.
4: Home? Without a holiday? I thought a few weeks on the Riviera, away from the crowds, the noise. Oh, Anita, the place I know on a hill overlooking the sea. No,
1: no, no, we, we can't.
4: Dearest, listen to me. You asked only to be with me, to be near me. Well, that's all I ask, too, to know that I can see you, that I can call your name, and you'll be near. That's all.
0: Oh, Holger. Oh, Hulk. <laughs>
10: Mr. DeMille brings you Act Three of Intermezzo with Ingrid Bergman, Herbert Marshall, and Gail Patrick in just a moment. During this brief intermission, we bring you a little scene that might happen anywhere later this evening.
5: Oh, oh I'm so sleepy. Let's go to bed. Okay. As soon as I untangle myself in this chair. Oops. <laughs> There goes another run. Gosh, I'm sick of them. Well, I don't wonder you get them the way you treat your stockings. Well, what do you mean? It isn't my fault. It certainly is. It's simply scandalous the way you rub your stockings with cake soap every night. Well, what can a girl do? You can cut down on runs with new quick luck the way I do. Come along to the bathroom and I'll show you. Now look. I'll just pour a few of these flakes into the basin and turn on the water. My goodness! Those suds certainly bubbled up fast. Mm Mm-hmm. Suds in a second. That's New Quick Lux for you. Now I'll just swish my stockings through the suds like this. See? There's no rubbing with New Quick Lux. Get that? No rubbing. Yes, I get it. Gosh, it's certainly easy doing stockings this way. I guess I'll Lux mine every night after this. You'd better, if you want to cut down on those runs of yours.
10: Yes, it takes almost no time to do your stockings every night with new quick Lux. Costs almost nothing, too, because such a few flakes give you such rich suds. And this Lux habit saves you many a dollar, because it saves you many a run. And that's important. Your stockings stay nice and elastic, so they give under strain instead of breaking into runs easily. Now, why don't you do this? Ask your grocer for the big box of new Quick Luxe tomorrow. He has it now in the same familiar box at no extra cost to you. Use it for your stockings and other nice things to keep them new-looking longer. It's so fast, so thrifty, so wonderfully safe for all your washables. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
9: Continue with Act Three of Intermezzo. In a tiny town on the shore of the blue Mediterranean, a rustic inn overlooks the sea. In this place of enchantment, Holger and Anita are happier than they've ever been in all their lives. But now a letter comes for Anita from far off Sweden a letter from Thomas Stenborg.
0: My dear Anita, the Royal Academy of Music has awarded you the Jenny Lynn Scholarship for 1939. This is a great achievement. I hope you will not let anything interfere with the fulfillment of the bright future now within your reach. Faithfully, Thomas Stenberg.
8: Holger! Holger! Holger!
4: What's all the excitement?
8: Miss, look.
4: What is it? If it's an invitation don't think i'll let you out of my sight not for a single moment oh well aren't you going to tell me Uh,
0: no no not now oh no anyway it's it's nothing to get excited about oh i'm starving dinner's ready isn't it
4: anita is the letter important of course if you'd rather be mysterious oh
0: i don't want to make you jealous (laughs) oh it's from thomas
4: from thomas Oh, and filled with recriminations, I suppose. What did he have to say?
0: He was just writing to me.
4: Yes, not about the weather.
0: No. Oh, Holger, it's, it's only that I was awarded a scholarship.
4: Only? Were you going to hide it from me? Why?
0: I don't. I don't want the scholarship now, Holger. I'm not taking it.
4: I see. And what does Thomas advise?
0: Oh, please, Holger, let's forget it. Oh, it's so pleasant out here what's that fragrance mimosa anita yes
4: where's the letter let me read it
0: no no alger let's pretend it never came look anita don't there it's all gone that's how i feel about the letter about any word or thought that could come between us
4: anita
11: Monsieur Brandt. Monsieur Brandt.
4: Yeah. There's a gentleman here to see you, Monsieur. Where? Who? Who is it? It's I, Holger. Thomas, where did you come from? I took the chance of finding you. I. uh... Good to see you, Thomas. You must stay, of course. I'll see you're made comfortable. It'll be very pleasant for overnight, I'm sure. Overnight, you can't run off like that. Tomorrow we're planning to have a picnic on the mountain. You must join us, Thomas. Holger, you're enjoying it here. Yes, it's perfect off from the world the kind of life i never thought i'd have what news of my family thomas that's what
11: i've come about they're all well oh quite well i have a message for you from anne marie yes she'd like you to bring her a camera when you come home yes yes i i will holger i i have some papers with me papers divorce papers oh yes 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 of course I asked Margaret to let me bring them. I thought I might prevail on you to
4: sign them. Certainly, I'll sign them later. Why not do it now, Holger, and get it over with? Thomas, you're my best friend. You don't have to use velvet gloves with me. Speak your mind. You think I've acted pretty badly, don't you?
11: it's easy to criticize. I don't pretend I can account for someone else's feelings. Won't you sign these now?
4: Do you think it's as easy as all that, Thomas? To cut off the best part of your life?
11: Tear out the last roots. I thought you'd done that long ago. Yes,
0: ma'am. Holger, is it you? I've been Mr. Stainborg.
11: Hello, Anita.
0: Oh, but this is wonderful. When did you get here? Have you seen Holger?
11: Yes. How well you look. (laughs) How are you, my dear? Happy?
0: Oh, but of course. I'm divinely happy.
11: This country is very beautiful.
0: Yes. You must come with us tomorrow and see the sunrise. Holger and I and... Yes, perhaps we'll bring Marianne. Marianne? Yes. she She's a little girl here. The innkeeper's daughter.
11: Oh.
0: Holger's grown very fond of her. You see, he... Um, he misses Anne-Marie.
11: Did you think he wouldn't?
0: I've tried not to think of it at all. I've tried to pretend... There was no past.
11: And no future? It seems a very long time since I heard Holger play. Oh, by the way, let me congratulate you on your scholarship. You must be very happy about it.
0: I don't want it. It means nothing to me now. But
11: it meant everything to you once. Anita, my dear, you have great talent. It saddens me to think it will be wasted.
0: If I only can be with Holger. Nothing else matters.
11: And Holger, does he feel the same way?
0: Do you think he's unhappy with me? Do you think he can't forget the past?
11: A man's past is never past. His roots are twined deep in the things that have made him what he is.
0: But he loves me. I I know we can be happy.
11: Do you? I wonder if anyone has ever built happiness on the unhappiness of others.
0: Oh, Oh, everything is wrong. My whole life, everything. What shall I do?
11: That's not for me to say. You must make your own decision. Whatever it may be, I know it will be the the right decision.
10: In a moment, Holger.
0: Mr. Steinbock, you are going on the picnic?
11: Yes, I thought perhaps I'd better stay another day.
0: You must help me. Of
11: course, if I can.
0: There's a train leaving here in an hour.
11: My dear.
0: When you and Holger come back, I shall be gone.
11: You're sure it's best that way? You're not doing it only because of what I said?
0: We both know where Holger belongs. I'm well. Say, I've been an intermezzo in his life. Anita. Oh, you gave me a good word once. Courage. I- I'm trying to remember it. I'm trying.
4: Anita, come along. Aren't you ready yet?
0: Oh, Holger, I'm not coming. Not coming? Why not? I didn't sleep. I, I think I have a cold coming on.
4: I'll wait for you outside, Holger. Dear,
11: shall we postpone
4: it?
0: Oh, no, no. Don't do that. You go without me. Please. Sure you're all right? Oh, quite Sure. Oh, really? Go along.
4: Well, I'll miss you.
0: Mm-hmm. Au revoir, dear. Goodbye, Holger.
4: You don't like my French.
0: Holger, wait!
4: What is it, darling?
0: Oh. Your hat. Oh, you, you never wear that one properly. Fix it. Mm.
4: Now, am I perfect?
0: Yes. Goodbye,
4: Olga. Goodbye. Darling. You satisfied now?
11: Olga. You knew it, didn't you? Why didn't you tell me? It was she who decided. She alone. Gone. You're not going after her, are you?
4: No. Perhaps she was right when she said she was only an intermezzo in my life. It's over. Then you'll come home with me? Home? Do you think I could crawl back to Margaret now just because I'm alone, with nothing, nobody? I haven't a home, a wife, children. I haven't any right to them after all the unhappiness I've caused them. That shall be my punishment, Thomas. My penance. (laughs) You have been away so long, my friend. Anne-Marie keeps asking for you. I have said to her, when spring comes, he will surely return. Holger, come home. Your friend, Thomas. Thomas
11: I knew you'd come
4: I knew it come along I'll get a cab you must stay with me of course I'll uh... Thomas wait please don't be offended you see I haven't come home to stay I just wanted to see Anne Marie. I brought the camera she wanted and please Thomas let me go alone if you wish it Holger thank you Goodbye, Thomas yes yes there's a School on the Buxholm Road. Take me there, please. Right over there, driver. Just wait. Yes, sir. Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie! Anne-Marie! Wait, dear, I'll be right over. Don't cross the street, darling. Anne-Marie, be careful. Look out for that car. Look out. Anne-Marie. No! <laughs> he has been killed. No, no, no. Let me through, please.
7: I told the children never to cross the street. I told
4: them. Anne-Marie.
8: Anne marie
4: Send a doctor to my house. I'm her father, Holger Brand. Hurry. tell me, how is she? What does the doctor say?
1: He doesn't know. She's very badly hurt.
4: She... She tried to run to me. I called, but... Margaret, I had no right to come here. But may I stay here for a while? Just till... Just till we know.
1: Yes. There are... There are so many things I must do.
4: Anne-Marie... And marie oh, God, please,
11: please.
4: Eric, look at me. Talk to me. I've been away so long.
1: You left, Mother and us, and I want you to know that I'll never forgive you. Even if everybody else does. Eric. You don't know what it's been like here all this time. You haven't seen Mother crying every night and hiding it. Well, now we've learned to do without you. Why did you come back at all? We don't need you anymore.
4: Eric, listen to me. Please. You know, when we are young, we expect the people we love to behave like gods. And most of all, our fathers, I suppose. then, as we grow older, we learn that none of us are gods. That we're all human, tragically human. And that we, all of us, make mistakes right up to the very end of our lives. You'll learn that one day. And when you do, you also know what it is to forgive. Perhaps even your father. (laughs) You see, Eric, it's (laughs) I who need you now. Oh, Dad. Dad. There, son, there, my boy. Mr. Brown. Doctor, is she? No, Doctor, tell me.
11: Your little girl will recover.
4: Say it again. Please. She'll be well again after a long rest. Thank you. Thank you. You'd better rest, too. The nurses will do everything. I'll be back for soon. you. will live with it. You have your sister again. <laughs> Goodbye, Eric. Goodbye, my son.
1: Holger. Holger, wait. Yes? Don't go, please. Margaret. Anne-Marie is asking for you. She wants you to stay. And so do I.
4: You. And after all the pain I've caused you.
1: Life renews itself, Holger. Things die and are born again in the spring. Our love can live again if we want it to.
4: Will you let me try? Will you?
1: Welcome home, Holger. Welcome home, my darling.
4: Margaret, home, home.
2: And that was Intermezzo, one of my favourite movies ever, adapted for radio by the always excellent Lux Radio Theatre. I do hope you enjoyed it. Well, on to a competition then, first one for a while. I have purchased for one lucky winner a remastered version of Orson Welles' notorious 1938 broadcast, The War of the Worlds on CD, which I will be sending out to one lucky winner. All you have to do to enter is go to the Facebook page, like the page, and like the competition post you'll find there. It'll be pinned to the top, so you won't have to scroll down very far. The link to that is in the show notes of this episode, so you won't have to search for it or anything. I will draw a winner in two weeks' time, so plenty of time to enter, and if you're drawn... I will send the CD to you post-haste. Very easy to enter. Just a couple of clicks and you're done. So get on it now. If you're a patron of the shows, I'm going to be doing a monthly prize draw from next month. One of you, no matter how much your donation is each month, will be drawn and will be receiving some really awesome... I've got films and books and all kinds of things to give away to you guys. Some of the books I'll be giving away are really special stuff, I have to say. All you have to do is be a patron. If you'd like to become a patron, keep listening to the end of this show for details. It just remains for me to say thank you very much for joining me once more. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Take very good care of yourself. And bye for now. I love you, Jeff the Shoe. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you.
1: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlaz, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.